Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. So one of the tough things about these foreign movies, uh, and, I, and I realized this very early on when podcasting, is that um, the trailers for them are almost always nonverbal or all in another language. And mm-hmm. so it really does put a lot of um, pressure on us to reiterate the plot in a, in a somewhat cohesive way without oh, I like really this. giving away uh you know the the, the 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 any of the twists in the in the film and this one has one pretty early on so i guess uh so what all about my mother mother is about uh manuela here uh, an argentine <laughs> nurse uh-huh. and uh she has a tragedy in her life let's say that ends up leading her back to um uh, the village that you know she what grew up in and where she had, had her first um, love, you had her first love and went with basically the time, the place she was in and when she was younger, um, when she was a young person and she has to, you know, meet all these people from her past and kind of, um, uh, find out about the, the tragedies and things that are happening in their life and, 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 and then kind of, you know, wrap it all up and, uh, uh, make everyone happy and hunky dory and uh, see i think i I don't think this is working (laughs) well i think yeah i think amadovar that's you know it was probably close to what his like uh, you know 30 word treatment was you know well i do like that it finishes with make everyone happy uh which i guess is you know that's a way to pitch your material uh this uh, is it safe to say this is like um like his breakout work as far as uh over here in the states 
This won uh, Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars, and it seems like he was a at least a name in indie film circles uh, going forward, working uh, working with bigger stars. He works with Penelope Cruz quite a bit uh, after this, I believe. Well, Cruz was one of uh, his discoveries, really, and and so was Antonio Banderas, and uh, he. So I mean, the thing that's 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 sort of one of the interesting things about him is that. Um, you know, as big as they have gotten, they seem to still like working with him and they, they, you know, both were just in a movie with him last year. Did you see it? Uh, the pain and the glory, the glory nope, and the it, pain. It played for, I think it played for about five days here at our art house and then was, uh, pain, brushed pain, aside. Pains of glory. I think it was called, uh, pain, pain and glory. I yes. think, I, I'm uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm assuming you saw it and you didn't care for it. Are you, no, are you poking I liked, fun at it? I liked it. Okay. I liked it. Um, he, he's an interesting filmmaker. He's someone I think, you know, I think he kind of like peaks really early in his career and he has this like 10 year period where he's, you know, extremely influential on, um, both American films and, and, and foreign films. Uh, and now he's sort of like, well, I've said everything I, I wanted to say and, you know, uh, he just kind of drifts in, in and out, uh, to different projects. Um, you know, I did not, I did not see the comedy that he had before that about the flight attendants. Mm, um, I don't remember that one being well received. Probably not. Yeah. Uh, I thought paying glory w- was a decent movie. It, it, it's not, it's not as plot driven, you know, as either this or, okay. So I'm really curious if you've seen uh, Talk to Her, which comes out three years after this. No, I've seen Broken Embraces, The Skin I Live In, uh, Volver, which is my favorite of his. Um, I don't know if I've seen anything else. Those are the ones that come to mind, uh, probably because those are the ones that I like quite a bit. See, I think that's kind of like, you know, not the best way to to watch his work. Um, I think Talk to Her is probably the most easy to comprehend and, and digest and everything. And the, and the one where you can look at and say, okay, I see why this guy is thought of, you know, the way he is. It's a pretty impressive film and I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about it. Um, all about, sorry to disappoint. This is a show about the year 1999, (laughs) sir. So blame him, not me. (laughs) I do. I do think when it comes to like these big foreign filmmakers and everything, it helps to to try and tackle them like strategically um for for example i think like i, I don't like the direction of this at all this, oh, this you, you're sounding like a marvel fanboy <laughs> like that's not the proper order to watch I'm not the, not, the I'm cinematic universe really interesting to hear what you had to say about talk to her because i, I think do own it how about that you own it oh wait wait, wait. on blu-ray or dvd I actually own it on DVD and uh, digital. I bought a bunch of his oh, okay. movies on uh, iTunes as well. Um, the Blu-ray, the Blu-ray of Talk to Her is kind of elusive, so that's why I was a little excited for. Oh, okay. You're, um, you're planning your heist. I see <laughs> on your next visit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, talk to her. Talk to yeah. So talk to her. Def- so it's all about my mother. You're right. It kind of begins. You know him. His sort of like introduction to. Uh, audiences in the United States. Uh, I, I, I guess some people would have known him from women on the verge of a nervous mm-hmm. breakdown or tie me up, tie me down. Both of those were well talked about when, when they came out, but you're right. All about my mother would have been 
like like a big breakthrough film for him in, in 1999. And like you said, it goes on to win the foreign language Oscar uh, and then talk to her ends up uh, winning uh, the screenplay award when it comes out. If, if I'm not, uh, if I'm right. And, uh, and then he sort of peaks, I think with like bad education. And then after that, his movies become far less personal. Uh, and, and I'm so Volver, I, uh, I like well enough and everything, but I remember kind of feeling a little disappointed that it seemed like it was him sort of artificially maturing. Um, hmm. what do you mean think, by that? Sort of like, you know, like a lot of the more zany and quirky choices that he makes in Toto Sobro. So, to, uh, well, I'm butchering it. Uh, Toto Sobre Mi Madre, a lot of the like more zany choices he makes in this film and talk to her and bad education, uh, the, the kind of decisions that make the film more, you know, suspenseful and interesting and exciting. Uh, those aren't there in Volver. Volver is kind of a very simple, basic, straightforward story. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's sweet. Uh, I like it. It's It's about moms and daughters. Yeah. Well, what you're talking about to me sounds like nonsense because I, (laughs) because I've watched this one, uh, this is at least my third time watching it. Second time I've podcasted on it, and it just you know it just seems like ridiculous characters that you meet, oh, and the next yeah. one's gonna try to top the other one as far as crazy backstory, and they sort of unload everything as soon as they meet someone. As far as like, here's what I'm about. Here's my like broad sketch of of a character, and I other than the look of the film and some of the performances which I like, and they. You know, I do think that a lot of the acting here grounds it in this strange way. That's that's why I was interested to hear you uh, attempt to summarize it, because I think if you just told <laughs> someone the beats of the story, it sounds really dumb. And it just, you know, the, well, I mean, coincidence okay, is a big okay. factor there's in these like, films. You know, there's, you know, a, a integral like uh, twist that happens with a character here in the early part of the movie that I was very surprised by when I first saw, you know, this film. And it's not in the trailer, so I don't want to give it away. Uh, and, 20, and, you know, over 20 like, years later, <laughs> <laughs> at least I tried to summarize it. Let's hear, let's hear you try to try to summarize it. Uh, Dennis, uh, <laughs> this woman, every person that she needs to meet, she happens to run into as soon as she gets off a bus <laughs> or a train, she bumps right into them. Uh, they take her, uh, to the next person she needs to meet. Uh, it, it's like a very weird a game of Dungeons and Dragons we're playing here, well, where he is the 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 grandmaster, the dungeon master that has all these quirky characters that he's really, you know. One thing I will say for him, and even a film I I don't like, which is uh, is this one, um, he does seem to have great affection for his characters. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be mean spirited in any way. Uh, I would say I don't know the skin I live in. That one's pretty pretty mean though. I think that one being uh, like you know basically a horror film. Uh, as far as I recall, I don't remember too much sweetness in that. Um, uh, so I, I like that about it, but, uh, you know, you're going to, and that's just one of my hangups. Uh, I, it's a big ask for me, the amount of coincidence, uh, that happens here as far as the, uh, you know, the, the sort of small town nature of this film, uh, how close and sort of incestuous everyone's lives are and how intertwined they are. I can handle that. I guess what you're saying is simplified in Volver where it's a story about a family. So I understand how they're sort of so involved in each other's lives, but this, 
uh, sort of adopted uh, extended family here, it feels a little too quirky for me. Actually, not a little. It feels uh, quite a bit too quirky for well, me, for my taste. So, okay. But there's a merging of, of artifice with, you know, authentic, uh, lived in, uh, you know, uh, like you said, sweet uh, characters here. And these are, you know, theatrical people. Uh, Manuela, you know, it's, it's set up that she, you know, used to be an actress or whatever, and that she's coming to help in this production of a streetcar named desire and is going to be the assistant to, you know, the, one of the lead actors, uh, you know, in that, in that, in this play, uh, in this local community production of this thing. Um, you know, there's a lot of interesting, uh, choices, uh, going on there. And like you said, I think the, earnestness of the of the characters uh you know carries it a long way and the performances both you know from cecilia roth and penelope cruz really i think really help it out a lot i will say i don't think you know it's age as well as some of his other films but you know i'm i'm a i'm a, I'm a fond admirer of this one uh, uh you know um i think we're being just a little too harsh a little too harsh well <laughs> Uh, I'm not, and certainly you're not. <laughs> you're giving it a big, a big uh, hug, you know, pulling it to your chest there and embracing this, which uh, I have to admit surprised me. This does not seem uh, like a Benzook joint to me at all. Why? Uh, so I, I'm, I'm <laughs> I, I think the sort of ridiculous broad nature of it. Uh, I just, you know, I just don't uh, get a read that this is something that you would normally uh, like. But you sound like you're a fan of the filmmaker himself, so I don't know. Uh, if was this like you know your fourth or fifth film of his that you'd seen up to this point, or was this, this like a first uh, watch of his because of the the Oscar hype? This is probably the third film of his that I saw, okay. and I actually I saw it in theaters, not when it came out, but at like a repertory uh, screening of it uh, many years later. I think I saw it probably around the time that Volver uh, came out. It may have even been you know in combination with like a screening of Volver. Um, and I don't know, I've always had a fondness for it. Uh, and, and, you know, the, this character's, you know, central tragedy that, that, is, that is haunting her, you know, color, colors the film uh, a lot. And I would, there, there's not a whole lot concretely for me to say that, okay, this is what Almodovar is trying to, to get across. And in many regards, Pain and Glory is like that as well. It, it's kind of meandering and ponderous. Um, and, and you, but you still have, have sort of like a rooting core, uh, interest in what, in what's happening with the characters. The Alibot, my mother is like that as well, but it also kind of represents Almodovar at his best, his best period in, in his work. Is that it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know how much, you know, we can, I guess, really touch on unless you want to get into some of the spoilers, but I, I'll just go based on the uh, Wikipedia paragraph here uh, where one of the complex issues uh, they list off is uh, him dealing with AIDS. And I I don't know if I always forget that that's a part of the, the plot and becomes like a major part of it, obviously, for one of the characters. Uh, and maybe that goes to what you were saying as far as how it's aged, but there is definitely like an eye roll effect where, you know, from this time period where I'm like, okay, this is going to be the, uh, you know, the, the movie uh-huh. disease of choice. And, you know, the, the way it's portrayed, it's, it really is 
you know, not even a B plot, but maybe a C plot uh, to our characters. And I, I don't know if I'm comfortable with how that's handled um, in particular, like the, you know, the character that happens to it's yet again, it's a pretty big fucking ask as far as like how this character got to this point, uh, given what we know about her. Uh, and it just, it, it, this seems like, I know he's kind of accused of like, uh, producing uh, soap opera like material mm-hmm. on, on mm-hmm. film, high quality soap operas, but you know, you get elements like that and it, uh, it really, it really feels like this is, uh, you know, this is the, the most soap opera he can get is when he intru- introduces AIDS as like a subplot in this film. I think, I th- okay. I think he gets way more soap opera, opery and some other, okay. Julieta was a movie I did not care for from, from about four years, years ago. ago. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see that one. And, uh, he's definitely, you know, I, it's so, okay. You not liking this tells me you're probably not going to be an Almodovar fan in general. Uh, and I would say you, you find this broad, I, I would say women on the verge of a nervous breakdown was definitely his most broad work. And that came, you know, very early in his career. Maybe you would like that better just because it's, it's more, it's not dividing itself between comedy and drama. It's, it's mm. a very much a pure, co- pure trashy eighties comedy. Um, okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know uh, where to, t- and you're right about the AIDS thing. It is sort of, it feels somewhat similar to like the way AIDS was touched upon in, in Rent and everything. It, mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't say, okay, I don't want to say it's touristy because I believe that Amadovar, you know, ha- has a, I, I think he's kind of doing it in a similar fashion to filmmakers and storytellers at the time. Um, I, it, it definitely, it definitely is of its time. Uh, but I wouldn't say it's one of the worst examples, um, you know, of that. Uh, there was that horrible Larry Kramer play that they made into a movie on HBO. Um, and then, uh, they won all sorts of rewards for it. Uh, the normal heart, um, who's the guy, Ryan Murphy, Ryan Murphy. Uh, Mm, you know, know, people are still, people are still like bringing those, you know, kind of cliches and, and, and two dimensional, characters to life in order to, uh, in order to milk, you know, uh, uh, Oscars and, and Emmys and, every, and everything. And it still bothers me. Um, but at least, but at least, you know, this is like the original, uh, of that. So <laughs> <laughs> you have to give it a little bit of more credit. <laughs> All right, then. Um, I don't know. I'm ready to move on to something more subtle. That's got a poop monster in well, it. That's okay, what I want to talk on, about. Hold on. I, this is, <laughs> Was that a spoiler for a, Dogma? This is a strong. <laughs> this is a strong, accomplished film that more people, I think, should check out. I think. The okay. So so you take Douglas Sirk, you take Alfred Hitchcock. You know, if they have a love child. You know, oh, he's God. Pedro Amadovar in, in Spain, you know, on like a wild weekend. It, uh, this, this sounds like an Amadovar <laughs> film. Yes, You're really having to reach to, to get to know, this. If, if that sounds like something you would like, if that sounds like something that would appeal to you and everything, you should check out Pedro Amadovar's films. And I think you should start with Talk to Her because Talk to Her is his most accessible movie. And, and, and you should kind of branch out from there. I think starting from... Valver or broken embraces and everything and working way backwards is, you know, you're, it, it's like starting with, uh, Kagamusha with, with, uh, with Akira Kurosawa. You're going to, you're going to think that every Kurosawa movie is going to be like that and they're not. Well, they're certainly going to be long. We know that. Amadova's <laughs> movies are not that long. <laughs> not his. <laughs> I'm talking about your, your example, which I was like, okay, you're going to find something a little populist here to make this compare. 
person. And I'm like, no, that, that he was considered. He was considered somewhat populist for his time. He was considered. He was like the Spielberg of of his day oh, in a way. Oh, please, that's right. true. That's absolutely en- true. enough of that. Uh, let's go to the the true Spielberg of his time, Kevin Smith. Oh yeah, from the nineties. Oh. <laughs> That's why I had to come down here this morning, man. That's why I had to miss my fucking cartoons. We're going home. Somebody sent us this in the mail. Take it, man, and quit leering at me. People are going to think I just broke up with you. People find the Bible obtuse, even hokey. If they get in, they'll unmake the world. I think I should go with you. What, like steady? All right, but Sal Bob is living us, and you pay the rent. These guys think that by passing through that archway, they can go straight to heaven. I mean, people don't go to church to feel spiritual anymore. They go to church and feel bored. Christ didn't come to earth to give us the willies. Organized religion destroys who we are out of fear of some intangible parent figure who shakes a finger at us from thousands of years ago. Are you so clueless as to think you can just waltz back into heaven? Oh, lighten up. I feel like Han Solo, you're Chewie, and she's Ben Kenobi, and we're in that fucked up bar. Don't you just constantly question your value? Like, why was I so easy to cast aside? This ceremony's a big mistake. The Catholic Church does not make mistakes. Neither you nor any other influence short of the hand of God is going to keep this thing from going off without a hitch. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been judged as guilty of violations against our almighty God. You will all pay for your trespass in blood. I mean, it is funny because, you know, this movie that I that we thought I, so I was going to suggest we start with this because it's more upbeat, um, you know, and then, and then I remembered, oh, it's about, you know, these angels trying to, you know, bring about the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, you know, I'm oddly I'm oddly very sympathetic, uh, you know, to these people <laughs> now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, uh, I was in a good mood for this one. I was, I was definitely in the right mindset, I think. Although there's always a little bit of a trepidation with me when it comes to Kevin Smith, uh, because you know we're roughly in the the same age demo, and for this time period, uh, being a, a teenage male, um, you know, th- th- there's a there's definitely like a, a sweet spot for me with these films that I always fear if I revisit them, mm-hmm. I'm gonna look back at myself as a dumb teenager and think, boy, you you sure wasted a lot of hours and a lot of spins on that DVD playing these things over and over, and why did you find this so funny? I can't say Dogma is one that I've probably revisited that much. Um, and what I remembered of it um, was that, you know, there's a lot. This is a pretty big cast for Kevin Smith. He's, you know, if you're thinking like Chasing Amy, where you basically have uh, three main characters and then a couple uh, supporting players that, you know, get all the best lines. Uh, this is not that. And even as a teenager, I remember thinking some of these actors or some of these comedians they can't they they can't pull off Kevin Smith's lines like some of the actors are more comfortable with like it it I truly understand Smith's affection for for Ben Affleck in particular because I think that he always comes across pretty natural for very unnatural dialogue and I think that criticism for me at least did hold up like I don't think Chris Rock fares too well in this film like maybe when he's sounding more like a Chris Rock piece of stand up it's fine but you know there there's definitely a lot there's there's a lot of words you've got to spit out here and some of it feels like it needs to be condensed 
you, I wonder what you think of this as an editor as well, because I do feel like uh, Smith is definitely in love with his work, uh, and I, I don't know if he's ever really confronted that. Maybe later on with some of the oddball stuff like Tusk, um, he changed things up. But uh, this is, I'm trying to think, this is probably peak Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's, you know, you can still have affection for those films, but I think this was the the point where it was really going to make it or break it for him as far as him being able to like move past what he had done before. And, uh, it just never really, never really worked out that way. So, uh, it's, it's a little sad in that regard because I really like a lot of the ideas and a lot of the, in particular, his leaning into comedy, even when, as you said, he's talking, he is talking about the end of the world, um, he always brings it back down, I guess, to his level for for better or for worse. So I'm interested in your your sort of history with this one, and I guess some of the other, you know, the the Jersey trilogy, as it was called before Dogma. Jersey trilogy, that's what it was. I've I've forgotten yeah. what it was called, and 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 what is is chasing Amy, and are like are are all of these part of the? So I'm pretty sure just chasing Amy Dogma. What are those considered? <laughs> Uh, Clerks, Mallrats, and Chasing Amy were considered the uh, the Jersey trilogy, but you know, it, it you know once Dogma comes out, and then you have James Silent Bob strike back, and then you know he keeps going back years later. Clerks too. There was another Jane Silent Bob movie came out uh, last fall, I think, straight to to video on demand. Uh, I don't think there is really a Jersey uh, trilogy anymore. The Jersey but, yeah, quadrilogy is what we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to go call like an it. Alien um, box set. So, <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Smith would so love that. He would love that, it. That's what it has in common with with all about my mother is that this sort of represents. So that was like the beginning of of uh, Pedro Almodovar's upswing. You know, this is I guess the top the the you know the top mm-hmm. of Kevin Smith's. Uh, you know, introduction to to uh, <laughs> American audiences, and it's never really the same after that. I, I, w- I would say after this. Uh, um, so I saw this in theaters, and I have a vague memory of being like, you know, a, uh, a Jay and Silent Bob fan, and and I'm pretty sure I'd seen Clerk at least Clerks and Mallrats at this point, and and I, I really liked it in in theaters as a kid. Um. And coming to it now, it still has a lot of charm, I think. I, I think it's an enjoyable watch. Uh, you asked me what I would think uh, it, of it as an editor. It's way too long. It is like, t- t- oh, my. It is like every one of these verbal exchanges with Chris Rock and um, uh, Salma Hayek, it, it, they just go on about mm-hmm. twice as long as they need to. And I love – I like their characters. I like the fact that they're in the film. I just think – the more you explain, you know, their role and everything, that's where, where the film kind of, kind of gets into a law. Other than that, other than that, it's all pretty much, you know, pretty enjoyable. Um, now after Alan this, Rickman, Alan, Rick, Alan Rickman does a much better job with his, uh, expository dialogue. Mm-hmm. I, uh, agree. I mean, just, a, you can tell though, like, I mean, I don't think it need to be stated that, uh, Alan Rickman, uh, a bit more of a professional actor than Chris Rock or some like, <laughs> and that, that point, uh, he, he does, he does, he does wonders with his material. Cause they're all, you know, they're all the same. They're all there to uh, our main character, Bethany, yeah. mm-hmm. different people visit her and keep explaining to her what's happening and what's going on. And, you know, in that regard, it's kind of strange. I, I think that actually Jason Muse and, and Kevin Smith as his uh, silent partner, I think they come across great in this. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> all they do is react to things. They don't have any of the boring bits with our main character. 
it's really what their original purpose was supposed to yeah. be. Was they were supposed to be, you know, these like side characters that, uh, you know, you like and you enjoy, but you don't necessarily, you're not looking for them to have it. They're flat characters. They're supposed to be very flat characters. And then when he kind of, you know, right after this, I remember seeing Jay and Silent Bob strike back in theaters and I remember having a good time with it. But in the back of my head, I was, uh, even as a kid, I was saying to myself, this is like the biggest inside joke of all time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think going back to that well one too many times was a mistake. I think by the time he hits Jersey Girl, he had, he's completely, you know, he's completely exacerbated that sort of like 90s nostalgia that people may have had for him. And then I haven't seen many of these films he's made after this. I, I've never even heard of this Yoga Hosers <laughs> title. And I, I don't. I think I could say with a lot of confidence, I don't need to see, you know, these movies. I don't need to see Cop Out uh, <laughs> or Tusk uh, or Jane's. Tusk was interesting. I actually wish, uh, and maybe I was wrong saying, I mean, Dogma is clearly the peak, but uh, I think with Red State and Tusk, there was an opportunity there for, for him for him to kind of rebrand himself. Because uh, he's an ideas guy, right? I mean, Dogma is all about yeah. just this idea of <laughs> these angels basically uh, looking for other, <laughs> other job opportunities. Uh, and that's going to uh, usurp the, the entire existence, entire world. And so you didn't see red state either. I did see red state and I didn't care for it. Uh, I thought huh. it was too preachy. Uh, I, you know, the, the central premise is very absorbing and captivating. And mm-hmm. then he just, I mean, one, I think one of the big problems with him is that he feels like he has to take things to the to the next step further. It can't just be an interesting thriller about, you know, the about these guys who who are incorrectly, you know, picked up and and held as hostages, you know, for, for because they think they're gay or whatever. Um you know, he has to take it a step further and have the big, you know, uh yeah, Red State was I was not a fan of. I really like John Goodman in Red State. I really thought I, I liked that character and I liked him. Uh, another one, another professional there that's able to deliver Kevin Smith's dialogue. Um, so you're ma- you- okay. You're mentioning dialogue. Uh, mm-hmm. Something I thought about Dogma, and, and you know the Dogma. Uh, the first scene we get with with Affleck and Damon here is a really dialogue heavy uh, patch. Uh, you know, of several, probably several pages of, you know, them coming in and, and him telling this nun to, uh, you know, give up the faith and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and it goes on for, for quite a long time, but I really like it. I really miss movies like that. And it kind of, it kind of made, it kind of reminded me that in the nineties, that was sort of the, that was sort of like the way for writers to show that, that they were writers and, and was to, to have these like really long wordy things and everything. And I, I, as self-aware and and how corny as it might come off, I find more to like about that than the sort of, oh, hey, let's have a big visual moment of, you know, crap or whatever, uh, <laughs> which is what we see in the first 15 minutes of, you know, most independently minded uh, movies today. And speaking of crap, so you get to talk, you get to, I'm passing this off to you and you better, you know, run with it. Go ahead. <laughs> The poop monster, yeah. uh, the, the shit demon. Um, I think it's aged pretty well. I, I think, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. Like I was, I was perusing some like letterbox reviews and stuff, just seeing like, cause as we, I think we talked about probably, 
if there was any degree of passion from us, it was uh, with Boys Don't Cry as far as what the younger generations are, how they're responding to, to works from 1999. And I wondered with, with Dogma, because I can't imagine like, you know, an early 20s or teenager now really being that into uh, Jane Silent Bob. Because one of the things, like, you're talking about when you watched um, Strike Back was like, okay, that is, uh, I've I've enjoyed this, but now it is time to put away childish things. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it, I said to myself that that day, okay, it is, I, I am a sophomore in high school. I am more mature than this this guy making these yeah. movies. So <laughs> He had something that I, I don't remember if it was on one of his DVDs or it was a talk show appearance where when asked, you know, why why stop? Why stop? We love Jane Talent Bob. And he, he had a, you know, a pretty good response, which was like, hey, you know, at one point you're not going to remember this. And this is still like when he's saying this, it's only been like, you know, a few years, but at one point in like the early nineties, everyone thought Polly Shore was hilarious. And they, uh-huh. they loved the way he talked on MTV. And when he showed up, like to make an appearance, to introduce a video or whatever the fuck he was doing, people loved it. And then he just kept doing it because, you know, it's, it's good money and people enjoy my presence. And then all of a sudden people were like, fuck that guy. I don't mm-hmm. want everyone to see his face again. And he said, I don't, I don't want my characters that, you know, I have, you know, a great deal of respect for because it's given me this position, this voice in this field that I adore. I don't want them to be something that people hate. And I guess he was good on his word <laughs> you know, until until Jersey Girl failed or whatever. And then he then he went back. But well, Jer- Jersey Girl is sort of like the 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 creed. Uh, song that was about his child. It, it feels like that. It it feels like someone trying to make to a, a personal movie about about having a child that just goes just becomes way too corny and and mm-hmm. self important. Um, and and so, I mean, we kind of danced around it, but I mean, this is a movie that's about faith. You know, it's a quirky represent representation of Kevin Smith's feelings about about God and faith and everything. Um, and I feel like one of the one of the odd ironies of life is that if this movie was to come out today, I think it would have much more of an audience than it did in hmm. 1999. Well, I was going to say, I, I didn't see people, like I saw some reviews saying like, oh man, the the visual effects, like that poop monster, uh-huh. that's not aged well. <laughs> and it made them seem, seem incredibly young and ignorant to me because I'm like, wait a minute, young whippersnapper. It didn't look good then either. Like it's, it's not like we were <laughs> sitting in the theater thinking like, wow, that's amazing looking. How did he, Kevin Smith get the money from Miramax for this? Uh, no, it looked like trash then. And I remember there was some pleasure in like watching these things with the commentary where it's Smith and his buddies and they're like, yeah, we did the best we could. Yeah, that doesn't look that great. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you as far as it, it does feel refreshing uh, now. Like you you, t- you keyed in on that opening sequence where I, I think Matt Damon's having a blast with this. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think in particular this, you know, this time period this year. I mean, we've got a, a film coming up that uh, I don't remember. Like I know it got some critical acclaim, but it certainly did not, uh, you know, get the Oscar love that it sort of aspired to. Um but he was doing some pretty, you know, serious heavy work uh, then. So you have uh, after uh, Talented Mr. Ripley, does all the pretty horses come out, or is that? Yeah, that's right after. That would be the that's, next year, uh, two thousand. Uh, and the so, Legend of Bagger yeah. Vance. I mean, you have these like melodramas, and, mm-hmm. uh, 
I it was cool to see him in this, and it it made me wish that uh, you know he had sort of balanced that a little bit more. But obviously, he's getting offered a lot of prestige work with directors they respected, as long as Miramax didn't throw them overboard. And uh, I, I I'm always kind of surprised at how good he is uh, comedically here. He is just charming as hell in the sequence, and he gets to play I guess the more fun role. Like Ben Affleck gets the you know the weighty material, but Matt Damon you know he is. He is really eating it up, and he, he's really good here. You know, one of the things I like about it, and it may be an accident, is how Bartleby and Loki, the two renegade angels here, you're not quite sure which one's the, the more crazy one mm-hmm. while you're watching the movie, and they kind of trade spots back and forth a few times in, in the film. And that works. That works for me, because then when you get to the, to the ending, you're really not sure uh, where, you know, where they're going to take these characters. Yeah, I think well, obviously with the uh, the Loki character, his obsession with <laughs> getting a, to kill people and having that slate immediately <laughs> cleared off and you know balanced again. Uh, yeah, he 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 definitely seems as the the crazy one, and you have the the adult in the room as played by Ben Affleck. He has a great line at, in that beginning airport sequence where he's trying to to key in um, Loki to his, his plot that they're going to brew. And he tries to hand him the newspaper and Matt Damon just reads the the headline and doesn't <laughs> uh-huh. know. It's like, what does that mean? He's like, you have to keep reading and and tells him like, please stop staring at me. People are going to think I broke up with you. Like there's, there's a dynamic there that I really like. And I, I wonder if it actually was hurt at the time uh, in the way Smith was talking about Jane Silent Bob. If uh, maybe this came I mean, this this coming out in fall of '99 was. Do you think this was too long after, uh, like the Goodwill Hunting buzz that people were kind of sick of, like seeing? Uh, obviously, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon have not done a lot of movies together, but in particular at this point in time, they were still tied at the hip. As far as if you looked at you know a magazine article or any sort of press, it was you know the Goodwill Hunting boys, and I, I wonder if that was a little too cute then that people maybe don't think about as much now if they watch it. Well, well, it did actually surprisingly well. Um, and you mentioned the commentary, uh, listening to it, uh, you know, on, on one of the commentaries, Smith mentioned that, you know, basically it making $30 million at the box office total meant that he had been like ushered into a higher echelon of, of filmmaker. And, and I do remember, I do remember even as a kid that people were surprised that this, managed to do to, to to do that well and maybe because of the big cast and everything maybe we look at it now and we think oh well this must have been expected to uh take off or whatever but this is actually a really small film uh and in that respect i do really uh, appreciate it and have sort of an admiration for it um you're, you're you mentioned the the poop monster i don't like the poop monster on a story level uh, uh decision <laughs> the, the visual effects fine whatever <laughs> You know, I'm, I don't like, I don't, when it comes to movies like this that are obviously made on the cheap, that are obviously trying to do a little bit more than, than what they're, what they're, uh, that when, than what they have the means to do, I give stuff like that a pass and it doesn't bother me. But the problem, I like, I like, I like the poop monster. I, I, you know, I like him more than the, uh. The, the the skating hockey demons, uh, you know, as far as like a goofy visual, I'm definitely pro poop monster. The poop monster just feels like a middle schooler's, um, you know, uh, uh, idea. 
uh, of what of what like an enemy could be in this kind of story. And, and I don't think it works. I think it's just gross. And and here here's the <laughs> kicker. Here's the kicker. So the poop monster was originally supposed to have uh, you know more scenes, uh, and basically got cut out of the movie. Um, you know, to, uh, so the poop monster was originally <laughs> supposed to come back in the uh, final scene of the movie. And uh, Silent Bob was supposed to fight with him. And, and then, so this is where, so, okay, this is where we're going to go down the rabbit hole of the DVD extras, which is pretty extensive for Dogma. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's like a good hour, hour's worth of deleted scenes on um, on this out-of-print Blu- Blu-ray that, that I was able to find a copy of. Um, so the original ending, and this is a spoiler alert, I guess, spoiler alert for Dogma, uh, the poop monster is supposed to fight with silent Bob. And then Bethany was supposed to get killed by one of the hockey kids who had, you know, pop back up randomly. Uh, and it was, it was, a, it's a very like long, like four minute scene that sort of interrupts what's going on at the church. And they wisely, you know, change that so that, that it would just be, um, you know, she gets shot, uh, with like an, an electrode or whatever, uh, through Bud court, the hospital patient here. And, uh, I mean, that works so much better. The, the other thing that, uh, so it's funny cause Kevin Smith, uh, talks about these things that he took out of the movie. Like they're really precious and everything. I found it, I found them mostly to be completely unnecessary. They're just, just much more of the same notes being hit over and over and over again. And, and there was like, honestly, they could have gone even further with, you know, with, in terms of cutting out all these different moments and everything. Um, yeah. As far as bringing something back, I'm fine with, uh, with Jay, uh, just trying to get his, uh, you know, sexual favor mm-hmm. that was promised if it was into the world. That's it. You know, that then we can get close to, to wrapping things up. And you're also taking focus off of, uh, Bartleby at that point, which I, I don't like. Like that's I don't yeah. I don't even know why you need the poop monster when you have this this angel that has completely lost it and is replicating uh you know the attempt at the throne that uh, that Lucifer did. And the only other thing that that I noticed from watching these, you know, deleted scenes was that there is a pretty integral uh, scene with Linda Fiorentino that was supposed to occur during the beginning that establishes you know, that why she, uh, is an abortion, uh, doctor, psychiatrist or whatever. Uh, and you know, how she got, you know, how she got to that place in her life and it details her first marriage and her losing a child and everything. And, uh, it's, it's a, it's way too much of a downer and it's too long of a scene to have it that at that point in the movie. So I understand why they took it out, but I do think the film kind of suffers because you kind of sense that her character doesn't really have much, uh, she doesn't really have much of an arc when you think about it. She, she see, she's bored at church. And then by the end she is more inspired and it's enough to hang, you know, an adventure comedy on and everything. But I definitely think you, you do kind of miss something with the, with the Bethany character by, by taking that out. I wonder if that's just a lack of enthusiasm uh, for the material <laughs> based on the, uh, <laughs> the actress and maybe Smith for the actress, because I, I feel like I've heard him say that, uh, Garofalo, like if we could do it again, he would give Garofalo the lead part, uh, which is, you know, that's, <laughs> that's pretty, okay, pretty well, bracing uh, well, look, material there. Look, look, Linda Fiorentino, she got dealt a bad hand. Uh, so have you ever seen a movie called The Last Seduction? 
I think that's the only, well, that and uh, Men in Black are like the only things that come to mind mm-hmm. uh, with her as far as her two, two big, I mean, hits, you know, Men in Black, obviously financially, but I do know Last Seduction is like what put her, put her on the map. But uh, if I remember correctly, did that, that had Oscar buzz, but it had like aired on like Showtime or something. Exactly. First. Uh, I think it's HBO actually. <laughs> it was um, uh, ineligible, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, you know, she got dealt a bad hand and I feel, I mean, you know, I don't think she's bad here. She's 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 better in this one scene that they deleted from the movie. And so I do I kind of feel bad for her in that respect. I do think she's good in the train scene uh, where she's talking, where her her character and Bartleby and Loki having to meet up, and they have a real that's a that's a really good core uh, scene of the movie. And it's one of those interesting things where it's like you can just get these two interesting characters that you set up. Uh, talking to each other and you can have a lot of really interesting stuff going on between them. I still think probably a better movie without her. You probably re- I mean, <laughs> like no, no offense to her, but she does, she does stick out to me as awkwardly as like Chris Rock does. Who's not, uh, I don't think he's ever claimed to be like an actor. He's, you know, he's a likable enough performer as far as if he's within that range of like Chris Rock material. But yeah, I think there's definitely some trouble spots, and I, you know, I, I put, I, I put a lot of the blame here on Smith. I, I think he just like, <laughs> I just don't think he had the enthusiasm for his lead character as played by her. Uh, that he just he gives all of the best material to the supporting players. And we haven't even mentioned one of my favorite supporting players, who you know, uh, he, he had a bit of a tumble with uh, what was that movie, uh, uh, Mumford uh, earlier this year. Uh, but, Jason but he's Lee. back in yes. pure form in, hey, now, in Dogma. Y- I remember, I remember <laughs> you saying he should have taken the lead role in that. What's wrong with me saying let's get rid of uh, Linda Fiorentino here? Uh, well, I just because you I, have an unnatural I hatred for, the, for Mumford. I feel bad <laughs> that Linda Fiorentino <laughs> didn't get much work after this. I, you know, I, I do think that, y- you know. I respect Smith for coming out publicly and saying that he had issues with Linda Fiorentino because so many people, they cover all this stuff up uh, with, 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 you know, the bullshit of, oh, yeah, everyone was great. Everyone was so wonderful to work with, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But at the same time, I feel like, you know, what ended up on the screen is, you know, I wouldn't call this a bad performance from her. Could it have been better in certain parts? Certainly. Uh, She's good when the movie needs her to be. Okay. I I didn't know you were... (laughs) I didn't know you were gonna uh, bring out the uh, the card carrying member, the the defense for for her here, because I, yeah, I, I mean, I just don't, I don't think she's bringing anything uh, really to to the material, uh, but that's that's fine. Like the, the, they just cut around her, right? You just, you just I think cut she's around very your likable. lead character. I think Janine Garofalo, there would be an expectation of her to be more. Uh, witty and and kind of sardonic and and pessimistic and cynical about some of these things that are happening. Whereas with Fiorentino, you can kind of see the, that warmth beneath her and everything that allows her to believe that oh, these are the two prophets I'm supposed to follow. Blah blah blah. With Janine Garofalo, okay, maybe maybe, but uh, I I do think uh, having having Fiorentino w- was probably. The right choice, even though it, it, you know, it sounds like they, she didn't have a good time in the movie. What about uh, Alanis Morissette here? Is the, oh, fine. You know, yeah, the big yeah, boss. No. <laughs> it's a smart <laughs> the decision. final battle. It's a smart decision to have a 
especially in, okay, for today, I don't think many people would recognize Alanis Morissette, but I think in 1999, you know, she was such a big, uh, you, you know, ce- celebrity that to have someone like that, who, who is so well known for, you know, her singing voice and then have her, you know, be unable to speak and everything. It's, there's a bit of a, a, a smart, uh, decision-making going on there. All right. We can agree on that. Um, I don't think, uh, we're going to be talking about any of the other, uh, let's see what you, you've got the clerks guys showing up for cameos again. So I don't think Jeff Anderson or Brian O'Halloran, uh, like you said, it's a big cast. It's hard to cover all mm-hmm. these people. Um, and boy, I really miss Jason Lee. I, I don't understand uh, why we don't. What do you mean you, you you miss him? What did, I'm sure he's you know he's not completely off the map, is he? Like he's mostly uh, it's like what is the last thing he uh, he did? Jay yeah, and what, Silent Bob reboot. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean they're. There definitely have been uh, Alvin better days. Alvin and the Chipmunks chipwrecked. Oh, he's definitely cashing those <laughs> checks for sure. Alvin and the Chipmunks. Uh, is he on television now? Does he have like a series or something? No, not really. Okay. We Bear right. Bears. Voice yeah, acting. He, so, <laughs> not is really. Is he like raising like seven kids or something? Is he just doing, he's got maybe, four children. Maybe, but okay. you know, and, and you know, it's sort of, it is sort of, it is sort of sad. Like I want, like, do you think that the, that Kevin Smith could get the whole, uh, view askew family back together and make something so interest, interestingly enough on the eve of, you know, um, Harvey Weinstein being sent to jail and all that, uh, uh, you know, apparently one of the last things that Weinstein wanted to do was, uh, was a sequel to dogma. And, and, uh, he like, basically he was, he was arrested before, yeah, you know, on on other for other reasons, obviously. Before not not for wanting to, to make a sequel yeah. to Dark Well, I think it goes back to what I'm saying is that business wise, there is more demand and appeal for this kind of material today than there was in 1999. Um, the idea of a movie that's that's primarily about faith that that discusses all this kind of insider. Uh, inside baseball, you know, knowledge of of, uh, of uh, Christian mythology and everything is is pretty uh, odd in in the late '90s. But uh, today, there seems to be a much bigger commercial market for that. It is strange because I I'd, I'd heard something about uh, I guess uh, because Disney. Disney uh, gave up on Dogma and did not want to release it. So it's like the Weinsteins themselves have the, the rights to this property or something. Is that why there was the, this pitch for the the Dogma sequel? Because he was trying – the way I, I remembered it uh, coming out was that he was basically trying to to circle the wagons and, and rally some, some supporting voices uh, by him. So he was really dangling some things right before that, that scandal uh, broke to the public. But uh, – I also think that's affected Dogma as far as it being available, hasn't it? Like, I don't know. Has it ever been on a streaming service? Well, it's complicated. So, yeah, Disney was going to distribute this film and then backed out. Probably probably had something to do with that scene where, you know, Matt Damon shoots a bunch, bunch of people uh, in a boardroom <laughs> uh, who are all, you know, um, uh, who all have been re- – their whole careers have, have revolved around this movie, uh, you know, Moose uh, animated character or whatever. Um <laughs> Not, I mean, not so subtle, uh, you know, kind of a weird decision, uh, to make there. I'm, I'm sure that was probably why. And, uh, then Lionsgate ended up being the distributor 
And so I don't know who would hold really the rights to it. I would assume maybe maybe uh, Miramax would. I don't think so. I feel it because I don't know the the Miramax catalog. It seems it seems freely available on <laughs> any sort of you know streaming service or acquiring copies of the DVD. But I I, I recall like that Dogma is like one of those that could be like strangely with this cast uh, and it being. Uh, fairly recent material, like almost like a a lost film. Oh, if you go to Amazon, the <laughs> the DVD is going for sixty nine dollars and seventy four yeah, cents. You know, I found I did see a a copy for like ten dollars at uh, <laughs> Azia Records, and I'm, I'm really uh, kicking myself for not picking it up. Um, the Blu-ray, one hundred forty. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> I have a copy of the uh, the DVD on my shelf, but it doesn't. I don't think it has the uh, slipcover uh, anymore. Um, but yeah, wow. We are okay. we are approaching peak nerd territory with this. Uh, yeah, and th- this is the part of the show where I'm getting uh. enthusiastic. You know, I'm looking <laughs> at all the the money sitting on my shelf. But I'm surprised uh, we talked this long about this about this title. I thought this would be kind of quicker. Or not? I I am not because the other movie is garbage, and uh, this was this was nice. Jeez, this was wow. pleasant. Man. <laughs> <laughs> So what's next? What what other trash do we have to bring out from nine nine as we get into uh, Oscar season for this particular? Yeah, I don't think year? I don't think this is a this is a trivia worthy uh, title <laughs> uh, coming up here. If, it, if it's <laughs> what I'm thinking, it is. There's no one in the right mind who will ever guess this. <laughs> no way. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm just gonna say it. Our next film is uh, Felicia's Journey, which <laughs> is directed by Atom Egoyan who is probably most famous for directing The Sweet Hereafter earlier in the 90s, and it also stars uh, Bob Hoskins. Boy, what a what a sexy pick we have coming up. It won, it won some Genie Awards in Canada. I don't, I don't know what that is. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad they, they like... What was he nominated against? Were there like four other films? Uh, that was it? Titles I do not recognize. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, this one should be fun, Ben. Uh... That my only my preview of my thoughts is uh, you know before I watched it I'm like I wonder why this one was selected on the short list I wonder why this made the cut this was a Denison pick this was a Denison pick I do not think so because I, I, I hadn't heard of this I had not heard of this until you I know saw what? it I, I am blaming you because I, I also That's not like <laughs> it's not fair but I'm going to stick to that because I have no idea how it made the cut and unlike the best foreign language film Oscar winner or Kevin Smith's peak, it's getting its own episode. Yeah. It's just journey as it should. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So join, join right. us uh, for that. And if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at 99from99. 99